This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. That's Nils Fram and the track called Says, and uh, you can catch him playing at this year's Melbourne International Arts Festival, which has put the international arts back in its title after being Melbourne Festival for several years. Jonathan Holloway is the Artistic Director of Melbourne International Arts Festival, joins us in the studio now. Jonathan, good morning. Good morning, Richard. So, you've got Nils in the program. It's his first visit to Australia since, what, 2014? 2014, absolutely. And it's interesting because since he was here last, he's got his own studio now, and you can kind of hear it in the music it's kind of his music has got this expansiveness it's always had that but it's it's even more so now that he he's kind of a musical magpie anyway and he's pulling from everywhere but now he just has this amazing sound the latest album is miraculous so one of the things that fascinates me about his music is the way that he has hybridized classical music yep. and contemporary electronica so there's a, a real kind of blurring of art form boundaries there is that one of the the attractions for you as well absolutely and and i uh, door there's a simplicity and a minimalism but then there's a, a lyrical and melodic quality to it that is that, that is unusual i find in 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 electronica i mean i i, I love electronica i love classical music i like uh, uh, post-punk i like all, all the almost all the musics not quite all of them uh, but most of the musics and and i just love the fact that he can go between something which is just absolutely classical in form I mean, almost from an etude, a piano etude, and then it builds into something that's astonishing. Now, one of the reasons I played that track is because, A, he's in the program, and B, I like the piece, but also because for people who are interested in contemporary music, uh, having something, knowing that there is an act like that in the festival is an automatic attraction for them, and indeed it's one of the shows that went on sale early. But I wanted to ask how you create entry points into a festival program for an audience who may not be um, intense festival goers uh, and often friends of mine will look at a program and go there's too much to choose from I don't know where to start and not go to a festival and some people don't even know the festival is on yeah. how do you create entry points perhaps two or three entry points for people who might go we've never really done Melbourne International Arts Festival before but We'll try this, and then maybe that leads them to X, Y, Z, and so forth. Kind of gateway arts. Yeah, yes. yeah, uh, exactly that. I mean, part of it. I lo- I love free work. I think. Uh, I mean, to start with Tandarum and finish with our place, our home gives us our boundaries. But it also means there are two things you can see, beginning and end, that are free and that you just turn up for. Tandarum is astonishing. Every single year, it, it, it blows me away. And um, and then and then circus is another great access point. Uh, people people love circus, although most people don't like clowns. But uh, if you can find circus without clowns and with minimal juggling, you, you're laughing. So there's an entry point for families, and it's a and it's a uh, there are cheap tickets for uh, for that sort of entry point of uh, less than forty bucks ahead. And um, then I think the fire gardens this year will be probably the thing that most people will see. Uh, we expect between twenty and forty thousand people over four nights. So let's talk about the fire gardens, which is taking over the Royal Botanic Gardens and setting it on fire. 
Yeah, yeah. I te- technically, not, not, not exactly that, but if it sells tickets, I'll say it. I mean, I, you, know, you know me, I'm not, uh, whatever it takes. But uh, yeah, it's beautifully controlled, but it's about 6,500 fire pots over the four nights. Um, in a series of sculptures, which metal structures, there's a, there's a, at one point there's a river of charcoal, burning charcoal. There are uh, sort of lit up uh, singlets. There's, there's, there's these big structures. Some of them sat on water. Some of them sat around the water. One and a half kilometre walk around it. So you, you walk around the whole Royal Botanic Gardens and see it in a light you've never seen it before. And also it's, it smells of fire and it's warm and crackling and just it's that sort of sensual idea I, I, I like a festival that you can still smell on your clothes the next day I'm not sure if that's a good expression but <laughs> I, I, I know what I mean I, I like the idea that you wake up the next day and you, you, get, you know physically that you've been to something because it was ah, because, it, because of the duration or because of the sensory nature of it the, the visceral nature for many years, the the festival has shied away from outdoor events because the weather in October used to be wet and miserable. Uh, is there a sense that the festival has gone well? The weather is changing. Let's change with it. Oh, we're not we're not sponsored by global warming, if that's what you're saying. Uh, but I would say that um, that I don't know that the weather's changed as much as we think it has in in, in October. It still isn't always sunny and beautiful. So I'm very conscious that where in other festivals, in other cities, you would start with something that was kind of aerial or something that, that involved people gathering for something that needed everyone to be dry for. Uh, I, I tend to lean towards outdoor work and free work that is weatherproof. So actually, Carabos, if it's raining, Carabos is even more beautiful. Because once it's lit, it's just exquisite, and actually it crackles in a way it doesn't normally, and the, the air is full of smoke along with the with the rain. Now, hopefully, it won't rain uh, because it is slightly more complicated and difficult if it does. But even if it rains, it's it, unless it's torrential, we're fine. So I, I think being aware of that is important. And the other big family and accessible piece that's very cheap is the is Thousand Doors which is sitting where House of Mirrors sat last year. But again, uh, Thousand Doors has the advantage of uh, it has a roof, which uh, House of Mirrors didn't have. So, um, so yeah, we, we, just, we just get better at this each year. <laughs> so uh, as well as uh, kind of transforming the Royal Botanic Gardens with fire, uh, you're also putting a circus uh, up at the Royal Botanic Gardens as well. That's right. So uh, no fit state. Circus, who are, I think, one of the world's great circus companies. They have this beautiful, big circus tent, which looks like a spaceship, which they're bringing over. And the show itself happens... uh, No Fit States have always made immersive circus, so you stand in the middle and it happens around you, behind you, over your head, and you're moved around. This year, for the first time, they've made a show where the audience actually sits around a circus ring. And that's partly because it's 250 years since Philip Astley invented the circus ring and changed modern circus. So uh, he, he did that because he was a circus performer on horseback and all of his contemporaries and rivals were going in straight lines. And he, he and of course, so they rode on from the wings, get in front of the audience on stage, they just begin doing the trick. They're in the wings again, trying to turn the horse around. And he realised if he built it in a circle, he could just go forever. Uh, it's best invention since, uh, well, probably the wheel. I mean, it's, it, other, look, other circular things are great as well. Pizza cutter. 
Fabulous. <laughs> now, you've, uh, No Fit State, as a leading circus company, you've also got a leading uh, choreographer in the company, uh, sorry, in the, in the program in terms of William Forsyth. Adore William Forsyth's work. Just incredible. And so rare to see it performed by the collaborators on whom he made the work. So these are four pieces uh, with the original dancers. One of them actually was last time was danced in Australia, was danced on the Sylvie Games farewell tour. And um, it's this is this is exquisite, exquisite work. And actually when I look at the when I look at dance in, in Melbourne, I think it owes more to Forsyth than virtually or Forsyth and probably Cunningham, uh, really interesting influences that you see coming through the dance here. So to go right back to source. And the other person who's part of it is Ralph Yassit, who is known as Rubber Legs, uh, which is, I'm not, uh, it's, I wouldn't want that nickname, but anyway, uh, Rubber Legs. And his, he's a hip-hop and breakdance performer who also works in contemporary dance and ballet. And if you, if you Google him or go to YouTube or other things are available uh, you'll see it has this incredible movement quality and and for me that everyone has been saying to me i have to see this guy's work for the past few years and now he's part of this forsyth show so that a master will will harness someone like that and get the best out of them is brilliant so we've got uh, fire we've got circus we've got choreography and dance uh, thematically what are the, some of the the through lines and the threads flowing through the program there are a few shows about asylum. So Flight is a piece about uh, two Afghan orphans travelling across Europe to try and get to safety in the UK. Um, and it's, it's, the way it's told is astonishing because it's a, it's a, it's a series of dioramas, it's a, a series of small um, theatre models, set models almost, but set into um, a moving uh, disc that travels in front of you it's designed by the person who has i think the best job title in the world he's the designer of magic and illusion for harry potter the cursed child amongst other things how cool is that job title and um and so that that's about that's about asylum there are a few shows about asylum there's also uh quite a lot of work about i mean obviously equality is really important and there's a, a big conversation about women's voices but there's also a conversation about men's voices and about the fact that men have to take a really good hard look at themselves this year i mean it's all years always but now is the moment and so with work like my name is jimmy uh, with jimmy barney exploring the fact that he will be the next chief of his tribe in the torres strait islander uh, man who is uh, his his island he will he will be the he will inherit that title so he's on stage with his grandmother his mother his son and his brothers talking about what it is to be a man uh, traveling the world and then prize fighter um about congolese child soldier and and just work which really explores masculinity and holds a mirror back up in a really forceful way having seen uh prize fighter up at uh, Brisbane Festival, I think, what, three years ago now. I'm delighted to see it coming to Melbourne. And my, la- my name is Ginny, Jimmy, both shows that have been created in Queensland and, and are yep. coming south. Yep. Um, you say, uh, obviously, that it's important for men to take a good, hard look at themselves. Absolutely true. Where are the shows in the festival that are kind of tapping into uh, the, the Me Too movement, kind of the, the female side of that, that conversation? Uh, wait, uh, I mean, there's... there's the whole Belarus free theatre 
directors collaborating with Australian um, performers to explore the idea of the great silence, the idea of the fact that whilst we notionally have free speech, actually, do we have free speech in Australia? And when people do come forward and start talking about this, uh, is there any more freedom of speech here than there is in Belarus? Is a really interesting conversation. Raucous uh, song for a weary throat, which uh, I, I've been very honest and said I, I, I've programmed it mainly because I missed it when it was here, and everybody adored it. I can't wait to see that. That's uh, and then Ghost in My Suitcase, which I wouldn't say is exploring the Me Too movement, but it's it's a story about uh, a young girl who's who loses her her mother and then goes back to china she's from melbourne uh, chinese mother french father goes back to explore uh, really what's where she comes from and in the middle of that she she discovers that her family are ghost hunters and so it's 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 part coming of age drama parts thriller and also the really strong voice of really strong powerful women's voices and reconnecting with her grandmother as well so yeah. there's that sense of the importance of family echoing through uh, uh, Jimmy Barney's show through a ghost in my suitcase as well yeah. one of the other threads that I've noticed in the in some of the works in the, the the program is the notion of searching for the truth uncovering the truth yeah. Belarus free theater you've already mentioned and the the Australian si- silence uh, but then also the work frog man yes which sounds really really intriguing so uh, uh, every so often i'll go and see a work because uh, i read about it and it has all the elements that i know are going to make me furious and hate it so that was this was one of those i i went to see it because it was a company not from australia doing a work about the coral reef and about a girl going missing in 1995 in australia so i thought first of all well they're not going to get the australian bit right that's going to be a shocker and and then it also uses virtual reality so oculus rift headsets and and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I've not, I've rarely seen theatre which successfully uses modern technology in a narrative sense rather than in a making you feel something beautiful sense. And it, it was stunning. I was absolutely blown. I was so annoyed um, because I was, I was so, I, mean, I was really ready to be cynical. And there I was, absolutely loving it. And the, the way it works is so that it's about a 13 year old girl who went missing in 1995. The real-time performance is you're watching a woman be in, uh, be questioned by police about the disappearance all those years ago. So that's in modern day. And then when you go up to the headsets, it's the flashbacks. You're in the children's bedroom listening to the three kids, her and her two friends, on a sleepover in, uh, in 1995 discussing the fact that this kid... No one knows where they are. And then you go underwater and you follow the, the divers down to the coral reef. So actually it's, it, it narratively works brilliantly and it, it integrates uh, technology and, and digital virtual reality with, with real theatre. If we're speaking about integration of works, one of the ones that I'm uh, really intrigued about is Particle Wave, which is being presented at the Melbourne Planetarium and taking uh, science, the hard science about gravitational waves, uh, poetry, visual art and sound art and blending them all together in a work which I imagine will be both educational because, hey, it's about science and gravitational waves and the fabric of the universe rippling, uh, but it will also be entertaining. Absolutely, and it's, so it's a 360-degree and, and film uh, on the planetarium 
ceiling. So the I mean, I, I love planetariums, and obviously I'm, I'm 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 crazy for gravitational waves. Can't get enough of them. So the idea of learning more about uh, one of the things I really know nothing about. Let's be honest. Um, uh, the idea of, of of being able to lie down in a planetarium and see these astonishing films combining all the arts, but also combining uh, quite a bit of the science, and uh, and then le- learning something at the same time, coming out smart and entertained. Um, smarter. Anyway, let's 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 lower the expectation. One of the other fun things about the Melbourne Festival is you don't necessarily have to go to see a show. Sometimes, if you're standing at the right tram stop, the show comes to you. The Melbourne Art Trams are back as, as well. They are, and at the centre of them is a recreation of the David Lowell tram from 1986, which was a celebration of the United Nations Year of Peace, which I think we might need again any minute now. But it, it's so seven of them are brand new trams, and and we selected those a few weeks ago and they were they're gorgeous they're crackers this year and then um and then the david larwell uh recreation is is really exciting and uh just to before we wrap up are there any other aspects of the visual art program that you wanted to kind of single out as well because often in festivals the the performing arts get uh, a lot of the focus and the the visual arts sometimes feel relegated a little bit to the sidelines but what's uh what are some of the standouts of visual art this year well really excited about working again with the ngv with the poly Borland exhibition also uh, thrilled to be working with Gertrude Contemporary up in Preston um, with Sleep Somnambulism and Madness which has been curated by Mark Fury who's on, on great form at the moment and of course both Mike Parr and John Stetsaka are fabulous artists um, and, and a double bill at MoMA of Alicia Frankovic and Lily Reno duar will be beautiful I think so uh, it's, it feels like a really diverse program in the in the visual arts and also across a really wide range of galleries it gets us all around the city speaking of uh expanding the festival's footprint and tying in institutions and so forth um, nothing at arts house or dance house this year they i think they're both dark during the festival well arts house have a, have a project that they're working on around uh, local artists and dance house yeah we it's funny we're working with a lot of venues and sometimes there's just nothing lands in a place, and it's unfortunate. But um, it's great to be back in Theatre Works, for example, this year, and it's uh, gorgeous to be to be at the Botanic Gardens, which is uh, which is a great space. But no, we'll we'll absolutely anything we miss one year, we go in as hard as we can the next year. So very much looking forward to being back at both Dance House and Arts House next year. And I'll be really interested to see the impact of digging up uh, Swanson Street over the next couple of years, how that impacts not only Melbourne Festival, but all of the, the Melbourne arts venues and festivals when you suddenly can't get from A to B by heading up the street because they're creating new stations and so forth. It's true. And even last night with the launch at the MRC, trying to get there um, and it's stymied by the roadworks uh, because of building a new arts Precincts. The irony of, uh, of the fact that it's very difficult to get to what is currently an arts precinct because of the building of a new arts precinct. It was ever thus. And, uh, and I think, uh, I mean, I'm sure people will find a way of blaming arts and culture for digging up roads in some way, but uh, probably that's one of the few ones we haven't claimed ourselves. Jonathan Holloway, any final highlights of the festival that you want to kind of uh, give a quick uh, shout out to before we wrap up? Go and see what? What is a beautiful piece of theatre in the Playhouse for a week based on the Samuel Beckett play, uh, which uh, is obviously... Uh, sorry, uh, the short story by Samuel Beckett. And finally, I think Leila and Maginun, and I've said it many times, but it's an absolute highlight to have uh, the genius that is Mark Morris working with the Silk Road Ensemble and fabulous singers uh, from Azerbaijan. It's just an astonishing piece of work. 
My next guests are in the studio. I have playwright Emily Collier and uh, actor Emily Tomlins here to talk about contests at Northcote Town Hall. Hooray. Welcome to you both. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. So, uh, Emily, we'll start with you. Contest is your latest play. Yes. Uh, And tell us a little bit about it because... I've already kind of obviously I've read the media release. I've read an article that you wrote uh, for Overland, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of went gangbusters. <laughs> um, and it's I mean it's a play about about netball, mm-hmm. but well, not actually. <laughs> that's that's precisely the little tagline I've been using. It's kind of about netball, but not really about netball. Um, I mean, I definitely uh, had the idea that I wanted to create a piece that was a highly physical piece for women to perform um, that would give them a lot of kind of robust action to do. I was interested in netball as it's sort of the iconic role it plays in our cultural milieu um, and as a space that is both very feminist and also in some ways very kind of contained and controlled and um, has some sort of quite patriarchal beginnings in a way. So Mm -hmm. all of those came together and felt like that was a good landscape through which to explore a lot of ideas and themes around women and friendship and ageing and group dynamics. So, yeah, we started to build the work about three years ago and here we are now. Okay. So I think it may surprise some people who don't, aren't familiar with the way theatre is made, that it can take three years to to Mm. build a work, create a work uh, and get it together and and put it on. Emily Tomlins. You can call me. You can call me Tomo if that's going <laughs> to make it easier for listeners. That's that's what we do in the room as well. There's yeah. just far two Emilys. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that one of you will have to be Emily and the other will have to be M or kind of? Yeah. Or look, just, just call me Tomo. Tomo. Yeah. Well, it's appropriate given kind of the, the whole sporting. Kind of thing. Yeah. Indeed. Um, what's the script like for you as an actor? Tell us about the show. Oh, uh, look, I I I love it. I this is the second project that I've worked on with um, Emily. Emily Collier and I love working with Emily because um, I've said this before she has this beautiful way of writing where she matches the the kind of the mundane or the everyday um, with with the absolute kind of epic and poetic um, and that comes through in the in not only in the kind of content of the piece but also in the way she actually writes the piece um, so there are certain kind of scenes in the show that are you know just completely kind of everyday conversations and then there is this beautiful kind of epic poetry as well in there and my character in particular because I'm kind of the outsider of the play, a play, a character called Cass, who whose kind of origins um, was was the myth of Cassandra. Um, so the kind of the all seeing but not believed, um, and so. I, I get to kind of cross those boundaries between the, the everyday and the epic quite a lot. Um, and it's, it's an absolute gift. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. I love it. Why Cassandra? Why the, the, the legend of the prophet who no one would believe? Uh, why use that uh, as the, the kind of, I know, the seed from which this work is grown? I guess as, we were de- as I was developing it, it, it felt like it was very much about... Um, Stories and moments, uh, in, in particular in women's lives, that often don't aren't given a public space. So mm. we might all talk about them between ourselves, like at the netball court or catching up for coffee or in our homes to ourselves. And I was wanting to bring these moments public, and it felt like okay, that needs some sort of a, a device that sort of that mirrors that thematic of. Um, I was interested in, in notions around gaslighting and, and that thing where women are often made to feel a bit sort of stupid or crazy for having intense feelings about anything. Or yeah. uh, And actually, um, M's character, Cass, has a chronic illness, which, again, we're exploring notions around women's bodies and 
illness and wellness and all those sorts of things. So it felt like that was a good match of someone who has something very potent to say to us as a whole, as a community, as a world at this point in time, and perhaps is marginalised because of because of being female, because of having a condition people don't understand, mm. but has some potent um, messages or provocations to bring forth. Yeah. Mm. One of the, th- the other things you've done with Contest is, I mean, it's a, an all-female cast, it's an all-female creative team yeah. as yes. well, <laughs> uh, which is pretty rare yeah yeah uh, and you've also very deliberately kind of i think created roles to represent a range of bodies on stage mm, yeah. and a, a range of, of of people as well so talk to us about those kind of aspects of it and m from your perspective as well how valuable is it to, to to be and how novel is it in some ways to be to have this kind of female energy pervading the entire Oh my production. god, it's amazing, Richard. It's like, I, honestly, I was thinking about it this morning. I have never, ever been in a room where the whole project is being driven by women, ever. You know, like, I, I've done shows where it's an all-female cast, which is amazing, uh, only ever in independent theatre, I have to say. Um, but I've, I've never been on a project that's completely um, driven by women, which, you know, and... I have been in a lot of projects, particularly in the subsidised arena, where I have been the only woman on that project. So it is incredibly rare and it's it's amazing. You know, it's it's a really... It's, it's an absolute joy and a gift. Um, and in terms of, of the way we're represented on stage, I mean, this is also something that I think is really rare that I think a lot of audience members are going to kind of go, oh, wow, I actually have never seen this like our entire cast are you know aged between their late 30s and 60 Mm. and we're all doing we have uh kate hood in the cast who's a wheelchair user um we're kind of range between those ages so there is a, a representation of different uh bodies female bodies on stage and we are all exerting ourselves quite a lot like it is a very physical show um and i don't i don't think you get to see that i mean i i i don't really think you even get to see that in film very much i mean you know for all of its terrible faults i ended up in tears in the scene in wonder woman where they're all training (laughs) together because you know because i i'd never seen that before just a whole bunch of women training and being strong and exerting themselves physically and you know and that happens in this show and i think it's it's yeah it is rare and it's it's sad that it's novel and i hope that it won't be you know in the future because it we we need this representation and yeah we need to see this uh, there's this beautiful line um, in in the show that I get to say actually um, that Collier has written that says uh, just because you grow older, uh, just because you get older doesn't mean you stop having a body. And you know, I think that's I, I think that's really important mm. to remember. Mm. One of the things that strikes me about this is the the power that the playwright has and the responsibility that a playwright has to specify in the script mm. the diversity of ages and mm. bodies that mm. will be seen on stage because mm. otherwise the the default position mm. seems to be, well, it's not specified, so therefore we will just put a kind of slender white person mm. of, of 
whatever gender, probably male, mm. into the role. Mm. Uh, so if you were you deliberately sitting down and saying, right, this character is a wheelchair user, for example, was that part of the script from, from very early on? It was part of the script from a certain point in development. I mean, the script, you know, took a long time to develop and morphed through a whole range of different possibilities. Mm. Originally, it was going to be a piece about young, fit, fierce, mm. elite netball players, and that just seemed less and less interesting as we started to develop it because there's enough of that around, or at least there's quite a lot of that. Uh, and then the, the inclusion of Kate Hood was... Um, was for a development at Malthouse about 18 months ago. Uh, myself and Mark Pritchard had seen her and just thought she was a great actor and thought, well, that could be a really interesting addition to the to the cast and to the story of this piece. And then she became integral to it. So then I developed that character with her in mind and in slight consultation with her to ensure that, you know, it's not a really a story about her disability, but there's a couple yeah. of references to it. So it was important that that felt true to her. And, yeah, now the script says, specifies that that role as much as possible should be played by a person with a disability, never a person without a disability pretending to have one, mm. and it could be done with, by a non-disabled performer, but ideally the provocation is to anyone picking the script up in the future. Have you tried to find a disabled actor? Then yeah. go out and find one. Yeah. The production we're talking about is Contest, which is opening tonight at Northcote Town Hall uh, in the main hall. Yeah. Which, uh, I, as soon as I went, ah, oh, netball, and realised it was in the main hall rather than in kind of one of the, the smaller mm. theatres at the back of the venue, I just went, well, of course it is. Yeah. You're going to have to have a netball court. <laughs> yeah, we've got, to, we've got to have room to run, Richard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're being put through your paces? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's really quite intense. Uh, yeah. I feel bad. I feel there are a couple of moments where the actors came close to kind of hating me a little bit, but they're all very... Oh, no, I, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a pleasure to be able to do stuff like this and we don't get to do it enough, yeah. so... There is so much great independent theatre on in Melbourne at the moment, prehistoric mm. being one example, yeah. uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Contest because the creative team, the yeah. cast, everything about it just makes me really excited to see the work. So yeah. thank you both for coming in. and Thanks, Chookers for the season. Thanks Yay, a lot. thank you. Just heard uh, uh, a few minutes ago about Melbourne Art Fair. Now it's time to talk about Spring 1883, which is an art fair established in 2014. And uh, one of its co-founders joins me in the studio now. Kate Barber, welcome to Triple R. Good morning, Richard. So this is a, an art fair which I really, really have to say I really love partially because it presents some wonderful work, but also because it gives you an excuse to go into the Hotel Windsor on Spring Street and poke around inside, which is something I'd been wanting to do for years and never had the opportunity to do. Why did you decide to stage it in a hotel? Uh, I guess our interest in that came from uh, the first hotel-based art fair, which was the uh, Gramercy Park International Art Fair, which was first staged in um, 1994 at the Gramercy Park Hotel in New York. Uh, it was put together by dealers and gallerists and brought together, I think, about 20 invited international galleries. And it was a huge success. It then went on to become the Armoury Art Show. Uh, so... I guess when it uh, first came around that we were looking for an alternative to the Melbourne Art Fair, um, we were looking for something that was perhaps more affordable for younger galleries uh, that perhaps took the focus off the white cube and a more interest in domestic spaces and presenting work in that context. And um, I guess, you know, it was money as well. You know, staging it in a hotel, all the amenities are there, you've got the services, um, 
they also have a lot of fixtures on the walls. You just take the existing works down and um, the galleries roll in and put theirs up. So the crowds that were at the gal- at uh, the, the hotel last year fascinated me as well because it didn't seem like the kind of crowd that I would have expected to see, say, at the Melbourne Art Fair. Uh, I was seeing uh, families out looking at work together, for example, instead of uh, kind of perhaps uh, older couples or uh, whatever stereotype you may think of for an art fair. It didn't match any of those stereotypes, which really fascinated me and delighted me, I have to say. Yeah. You, were you there on the Saturday, I yeah. wonder? Yes. Uh, so we actually run every two years. So we uh, sorry, two years no, ago. every yep. two years. So um, we tend to look. We promote very much to a clientele list that the galleries provide. So the first few days, for example, the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday tend to be gallerists, clients, private collectors, those people. But um, word of mouth is a wonderful marketing tool and people tend to hear there's something happening at the Windsor Hotel. A lot of them don't know exactly what it is, but they know it's a spectacle. And so we do get on that Saturday a broader, more general audience who are just interested, A, to look at a heritage, beautiful, grand hotel um, and to, as you say, get a chance to poke around in those uh, luxurious rooms and spaces and also people who have just um, I guess are interested in art and find it a more you know it's not so daunting to go into a hotel because it's a more familiar space perhaps yeah. um, it's also free so that always helps that's an added bonus now one of the things that the hotel space also then allows people to do is uh, create say a sp- uh, site specific installation for spring 1883 which they couldn't do in a more traditional arts fair environment that's very true and um, every year we're amazed at how far some of the galleries take that. Um, We know that uh, Fort Delta, for example, based here in Melbourne, are building a wall in their hotel room. Um, We're not, uh, we're trying not to take too much notice of that. What we don't know, (laughs) we're not liable for. Um, I'm sure they'll take every precaution. Uh, Also a new gallery joining us, uh, Baobank Nino from um, Auckland in New Zealand, uh, presenting theirs on hay bales. Uh, They're riffing off uh, Hieronymus Bosch work, um, the hay wain, and um, so the works will be presented mounted on hay bales. Um, They've taken all due diligence with uh, coating, putting something over the carpets to make sure that doesn't um, affect them. But a lot of the, increasingly a lot of the galleries and the artists are working together to create new works and very much uh, site-specific works. Uh, Jan Murphy Gallery in Brisbane, one of their artists, Gerwin Davies, actually booked the suite months ago, came down and did an amazing photo shoot in there, very performative works that he appears in himself in costume. And um, so there's a lot of works that are made that relate particularly to the Windsor's decor and um, heritage and design. Yeah. Um, there's also something that's I th- feels different about spring 1883, and I may be wrong here, but there's perhaps at other art fairs, there's perhaps more of a sense of competition uh, it's, who can kind of pull in the buyers, for example, here, perhaps more of a collegiate nature amongst some of the, the people who are represented there? Yeah, look, certainly, Richard, that's something we're trying to foster. The collegiality is a driving um, influence of spring 1883. Uh, traditionally, I think there has been a lot of competition in the art world and, and you know, there's a small market in Australia for buying your work. Uh, we thought it was perhaps more conducive to work together as gallerists. Spring 1883 was founded by uh, 
two galleries in particular, Neon Park and Sarah Scout Presents, together with Vasily Kalaman, who was then director of Station Gallery. He's now based in New York as an independent consultant. Um, but we work very closely um, with Jeff Newton from Neon Park. And the galleries that we work with are all galleries we've had some kind of dealings or relationships with, and we really do try and make it a collegiate space. Um, I think the difference as well is you can't see what they're doing in their rooms, whereas at an art fair it's very visible um, who your clients are talking to and if they've crossed the floor and are in another gallery's booth, you know, dealers can get a little protective and, um, you know, feel uncomfortable to see their clients talking to someone else. Uh, Having said that, um, I mean, MAF is a much bigger fair than us. Um, We are pleased to say that it is a collegiate relationship with the Melbourne Art Fair. We don't necessarily have that in um, the other city that we do our fair in. So we're really pleased to work closely with MAF uh, this year and we're happy to see them back. Um, We've actually got a bus that'll run between spring 1883 and MAF, a courtesy bus, to allow patrons and collectors and visitors to get between the fairs easily. And what's your relationship like with the other art fair? Um, the other art fair there in Kensington this year, look, to be honest, we um, are very happy they're there. They uh, work very closely with young and emerging artists, so, you know, a little bit of a different audience and I think bring a great energy. We're really pleased to see that there are other satellite events happening and I think that makes Melbourne Art Week a really wonderful time to, to visit. There's so much on. There's absolutely so much on. It's almost overwhelming. It is quite overwhelming. Yeah. So in terms of spring 1883, which, as I said, running from the 1st to the 4th of August at the Hotel Windsor, this is, uh, what, your third iteration in Melbourne and you've also done Sydney as well. We've done Sydney twice, so it's our fifth edition of the fair taking place, yeah. So I would imagine five editions means that there's a real sense of confidence, uh, confidence, control and focus. How has spring 1883 changed since its first iteration? Um, Look, I think we've got better at knowing what we do. The first one was pulled together in under six months. So it really was just a, um, I guess, a leap of faith for the gallerists who took part. They really didn't know how it would roll out and also for the um, delivery team. Um, As we've done at each edition, we learn, you know, what works and what doesn't. Um, We built a number of different events into this year's particular edition. There's an artist party on the Friday evening. There's a number of private events with um, key collecting and patron groups and supporters. Uh, We also have a number of different performances taking place. Uh, This year we have a project room, uh, which will be really wonderful. It's being curated by young Melbourne curator Marde Spencer-Castle and an artist Jeremy Eaton. And they're bringing together a Baroque salon-style hang in their room of... I think they have over 30 artists in their particular room, um, including some big names, Yinka Shonabare and a number... Well, Christian Thompson is in there, a number of younger artists as well, alongside more established. And they'll be working with renowned Melbourne florist Cecilia Fox, uh, who'll be doing floral arrangements to uh, complement and match the floral-themed artworks in their room. Um, the Hotel Windsor's decor is often quite overblown, so um, I think they'll have a really impressive presentation in that suite, not to be missed. I take it you must have a very good relationship with the, the Hotel Windsor as well, to, because as you said earlier, hay bales being placed in rooms, for example, or, or, or uh, an extra wall going up. It, it feels as if the Windsor are an accommodating partner in that regard. Uh, we're really blessed to have them as a partner, presenting partner. Uh, the owner of the Windsor, Mr Adipetra Halim, is an art supporter, uh, particularly a 
contemporary art supporter and the hotel has had quite an engagement in the past with contemporary art and presenting events there so uh, we couldn't hope for a more supportive partner in that regard and the staff uh, many of them who've been there for many years have been there for each edition we've done are familiar with the fair Um, a number of them came up to Sydney to visit spring 1883 when we presented there at the establishment and they really worked very hard to make it um, a successful event for us as well as for them. Uh, Kate, just to to wrap up, the 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 role of any art fair is obviously to sell work to to a degree, um, but does an art fair also exist uh, to kind of I don't know, to to display um, the current zeitgeist of the art world as well. Yes, certainly. I mean, definitely it is there to sell and um, for all of those galleries, they take a huge risk. Uh, Many of the galleries this year at spring, well, at least 10 of them, are also participating in the Melbourne Art Fair. So, you know, they're running a bricks and mortar space. They're also doing two major presentations across two different art fairs. So they are, you know, investing time and money into that and they need to see a return on that. But certainly alongside that and at spring in particular, it gives them an opportunity to present perhaps the more risky work, more experimental work. And I think you do tend to see then, um, you know, some interesting currents to follow and what might be might be happening into the future with contemporary practice. Um, one of the works in particular I think that will be really exciting, Rosalind Oxley Nine Gallery from Sydney, um, a really, you know, incredibly well-established and um, with a remarkable reputation at taking part in our fair. And they're presenting a work by Patricia Piccinini, a new work from 2018 called The Couple. Um, it was recently shown at her survey exhibition at Quag Goma in Brisbane and um, I think that'll be a great work to see. It's uh, quite site-specific. It's a, um, they'll be presented on a bed and, um, yeah, look out for that one. I'll definitely keep my eye out for that one. The website is just uh, spring1883.com Jump online, learn a little bit more about it and uh, get along to the Hotel Windsor to take in the works from the many artists and galleries represented and as I said just to have a poke around the Windsor as well is also a delicious experience. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me Richard. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.